0: you are here um whether you're a returning listener uh, always come back um thank you for that i appreciate you um taking that time and uh putting that trust in me and if you're new i hope you find value in what i have to present for you so um as always value to you is my number one um goal with presenting information here so um Wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, earthquakes and tsunamis. The other day I read an article about a study that came out sometime last few months. I don't remember the exact date. Um, And it was published in the peer-reviewed journal Earth Science Reviews. Um, I will have a link to the uh, article that I read um, as well as the study, if I can, uh, down in the the comments. the way peer-reviewed studies work. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, What I may be able to link to is like the abstract, like the cover page has like the information about who wrote it and like their summary of it um, without being actually able to read the whole article without paying for it. So, um, but I will do what I can to post all of that for you. Um, But this, this article and this study were really interesting to me and actually a bit frightening as well, um, which is probably why I wanted to talk about it. Um, Cause those are two things I think are, make something noteworthy. Um, so they talked about the, a uh, previously unknown relationship between the severity of a tsunami that's generated by an earthquake and what's called the outer edge. So um, that's defined as the area between the main earthquake fault and the C four, um, which I don't know personally. I had a little bit of trouble um, imagining, like quite putting into perspective and figuring out exactly what that meant. Um, so I, I did some other uh, looking and found a different study that was published by Columbia University in 2017 that had a better uh, summary or explanation of what the outer wedge is. So according to a, a news release that went with that study um, from the 1st of August 2017. Um, the leading edge, or excuse me, the outer wedge um, is the area where um, a section of the, the plate um, breaks off. Um, and so the analogy that they use in their description of it is if you've got um, a a plate, um, especially like a a ceramic or porcelain plate, um, and it's got a a chip in it, um, you put it on table and you start pounding your fist on the table, the the big plate itself isn't going to move a whole lot, but your little broken off piece, that's going to kind of jump a little bit. And that's all well and good. Um, Another way I thought to uh, explain it was a little bit more visually. Um, So I grabbed a couple of books I had here on the corner of my desk um, because I'm a reader and having books laying around everywhere is sometimes what we do. Um, So I have books that represent plates. Um, So today we have the um, Osma plate. Um, Osma of Oz and the Witcher plate. So um, let's say that the Witcher plate being the thicker one um, and the Osma plate are moving against each other. Um, and we'll have a little say a piece breaks off of the Witcher plate. So um, here's a clothespin I found in my drawer. Um, I don't know why I had a closed pen in my desk drawer. I don't recall ever using a closed pen. I don't think I'll ever need one for pinning clothes at least. Um, but I had one, so it, it, it'll work great. So if um, yeah, that. So um, we have our two plates here. Um, and we have the Witcher plate, and we have the Osmo plate. And they are moving against each other. And the Osmo plate is going to slide beneath the Witcher plate. Okay, and you saw the movement um, on the Witcher plate it kind of shifted around. Um, now let me move this closer to the edge and try that again uh, and we'll see what happens. That under, okay, I knew this was going to happen. Under, okay, and you saw how that like shifted and the whole closed pin broken off piece like went, whew. So that's kind of what the, um, Um, the broken off piece of the the tectonic plate does. And so when that bounces or shifts really fast or whatever, um, that's what often causes the actual tsunami, um, rather than just overall the the plate movement itself um, of the one plate shifting beneath the other um, or sliding next to it, depending on what type of um, fault line we have. but uh, generally the ones um, that are going to cause tsunamis are, are going to be the, the um subduction, excuse, me, subduction uh, movements of the plate. One of the authors of the study, Sylvain Barbeau, and I hope I pronounced that right. Um, I'm not super good with, I believe that's French. Um, not my best language. Um, described the outer wedge as the garbage bag of subduction zones um, because it's where the sediment piles up in addition to being the intersection of the plates so um, basically like it's not just the intersection but it's kind of down a little bit um, and you've got your your thingy here your broken off piece um, and you've got all this uh, silt and everything that um, builds up there And so yeah, it's just it's a mess. And so sometimes it can be really hard to identify what uh, broken pieces you have. Um, But when you can, that actually will help to identify um, new fault zones that that you may not have known about before. So there's actually a lot of uh, really helpful information here as far as not just understanding earthquakes and tsunamis, but uh, detecting uh, new faults, which obviously, as our knowledge of faults increases where they are how they move that enables us to better understand earthquakes and predict when they may happen um and and how how damaging they might be and all that sort of stuff so um knowledge is power you know it's cliche but it's it's true um anyway so the the finding from these researchers suggested that the wider the plate is um excuse not the plate the wider the outer wedge is, um, the larger the maximum size of the tsunami will be. Um, That connection adds a new element, um, as they put it, to consider when making tsunami predictions. Um, One of the authors suggested that that might mean um, worst case scenario predictions would need to be doubled, um, which is kind of scary and huge. I think of the um, Cascadia subduction zone here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and that is, is a really big deal. So um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Cascadia subduction zone. Um, even living here in the Northwest, I wasn't familiar with it um, until a few years ago. Um, there was an article in the New Yorker magazine I believe in twenty fifteen um, that really gave uh, the Cascadia Subduction Zone um, and the earthquakes that happened there a whole level of publicity that they'd never had. So um, let me see if I can share my screen here a moment. Okay, so here we go. Um, so this is a map of the Cascadia Subduction Zone. Um, I hope you're able to see that. Um, so I'm gonna trust that you can see my my cursor here. Um, so, this is the Cascadia Subduction Zone. So this is up here, a couple hundred miles into British Columbia, and then it comes down all the way through or next to Washington, Oregon, Northern California. Um, I didn't check the map or anything, I'm guessing. This mountain here where this L is, uh, is Mount Shasta, but I can't see that for sure. So. But anyway, I mean, this is like a thousand mile stretch here. Um, And so what's happening with the Cascadia Subduction Zone is you have the Juan de Fuca plate that is moving uh, east and sliding under the North American plate. So um, that is a huge area. It is a huge fault. um, And it is a big deal. Um, honestly, the, um, possibility of a Cascadia subduction zone earthquake is, um, probably the disaster scenario that worries me most in life. Um, so much so that honestly, if I could easily move out of the Pacific Northwest, um, I probably would. Um, if I, I had the, the resources to do that, a place to go, all that. Um, because it's it's going to be crazy. I will talk more about uh, what a Cascadia earthquake would look like in a little bit. Um, just because I think it's really helpful to understand um, the impact that these supermassive, my terminology, not a scientific term, uh, supermassive earthquakes can have. So. Um, Even though the uh, Cascadia earthquake is what worries me the most out of the potential disasters um, we might have here um, just because of its destructive capability or capacity. Um, You know, because of the understanding I have as far as probably some normalcy bias, um, it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, I have been having trouble sleeping lately for some reason. Um, actually, I think it's probably a lot of reasons. I don't know um, exactly what all the contributing factors are. Um, it's been a couple months now where my sleep schedule's kind of changed. And um, for some reason, I've needed less sleep. I've been able to get by with less sleep. I'll put it that way, because I've gotten less sleep. Um, And like I said, it's been going on for a couple months now. So normally I would just be long term, like dragging, like I'd be dying. Um, But um, I'm not. And I don't entirely understand why on that either. Um, But I do know one thing that's helped recently with uh, even less dragging and being more awake mentally, you know, still a little bit tired physically. Um, But mentally, I found something that's been a huge help. Um, And that is a drink called Magic Mind. Um, It is a supplement, a nootropic drink. Um, It's just, it's a really little, it's only um, two ounces, uh, two ounce bottle. I'm not sure how well that's showing up for you. Um, But it's a two ounce bottle. And... um, it has in it several different things. So uh, some of the things include L-thionine, um, a natural nootropic that's in it is Bacopa monieri. It's got astragonda and rhodelia rosea in it, um, lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms. So um, that's quite a bit of good stuff. Um, And um, the idea is you take this with your morning coffee or tea or whatever you're drinking. Um, Don't have to, um, but that's, um, you know, can can be nicer to do that. Um, I know the first time I took it, um, I didn't take it with anything, so to speak, um, and I didn't uh, have it chilled first or or refrigerated. Um, And the serving suggestion for it is to refrigerate it. Um, I would highly recommend that. Um, I just think you have a better experience with it being um, refrigerated. Um, And so what I do, you know, each morning, you know, when making a cup of tea. um, And so I'll have my tea, you know, have a few sips, knock this baby back and, um, you know, finish off my tea um, just casually um, throughout the, the next little while. But one of the things that's in here, the Bacopa Munieri. Um, like I said, it's a natural nootropic, and one of the things it does it, or a couple of things it does, is it helps with procrastination, um, helps with attention, um, studies, some studies are showing now that procrastination is linked a lot to stress and cortisol levels, and um, so, you know, things like coffee are going to cause that spike, the caffeine in it, um, and so, um, you know, a lot of people, Um, or even just having this replace their coffee and they're turning to um, non-caffeinated morning drinks, Uh, maybe a a decaf coffee or or a herbal tea or something like that. But um, I've I've never really been a coffee drinker, so it's not an issue for me. Um, Like I said, I usually have a cup of tea. Um, Often it's a a herbal tea, um, but sometimes it's not. This kind of depends on my mood, Um, but um this has really, really been helping lately. Um like I said, I've been getting less sleep, and so it would be really normal and expected for me to just really be mentally dragging. Um, and I've had those days in the last few months where mentally I'm just like oh, like I just don't want to do anything, it's hard to get motivated, hard to do anything. Um, And I have not had a problem at all with that since I started using Magic Mind. Um, So I am really grateful for it. Um, The the awesome ingredients in here is the nootropics. Um, So, you know, it is a supplement. So I would always recommend um, checking with your doctor, your medical professional. But definitely encourage you to try it if that's something you're interested in. Um, If you are interested in it, I actually have a coupon code for you, which is super exciting for me. Um, kind of makes me feel a little bit like, hey, you've made it. Um, so, what you can do is you can go to magicmind.co, uh, that's magicmind.co slash LLPHP, and enter code LLPHP20 at checkout. And that will get you 20% off of your first purchase. So, That's a a pretty good discount there. So, um, if you're interested in trying it, I really encourage you to do so. Take advantage of that code um, for 20% off. I will have um, that information down in the description. Description, there we go. Um, I'll have that in the description as well. So, um, with the um, tsunamis, getting back to those, um, I'm going to use the Cascadia earthquake as an example because it's it's what I know best um, and it's actually what they used in the, um, the article I read as well. Um, um, because it is one of the better known um, subduction fault zones um, in the world and so. Um, like I said, they said that it could potentially double the worst case scenario of the tsunami. Um, so previous estimates for a cascadia subduction zone earthquake um, generated tsunami um, ranged from about 40 feet uh, in height to about uh, 100 feet uh for the tsunami when that hits land um so th- that's pretty good difference but it's also pretty big um, uh, even at 40 feet that can do quite a bit of damage 100 feet that's a lot more Um, I don't know if you've seen uh, raw video from um, any of the other, you know, major earthquakes that have happened in the world over the last, I don't know, several years. Um, Obviously, they happen every couple of years or even sometimes even more often than that. Um, I think back to the the 2004 earthquake um, in uh, the Indian Ocean. Um, That was one of the big ones, uh, 2011 in Japan. Um, That's another big one I think back to. Um, And they actually compare the Cascadia earthquake to those quakes as far as the power of it and the damage and all that. So with the Cascadia earthquake generating a tsunami, um, they're saying it could go um, actually 200 feet. So it could be the potential height of the the wave, which is really kind of mind boggling. Um, I have um, a picture of... San Francisco, uh, Golden Gate Bridge, behind me. Um, I believe that's what it is. Um, I don't know if that would be standing after being a, a hit by a, a tsunami from that. Um, I don't know. If, I guess it would depend on where the uh, the quake happened, and you know, the flow um, of the water and which direction it went. So, you know, it could be straight outward in, in all directions. Um, Tsunamis can be kind of odd to try to predict, I think. I'm no expert. Um, But uh, when I have looked at the warnings and things, it hasn't always made sense to me, but I trust the professionals. Um, So what they did uh, in their study um, is they they looked at um, at least 30 uh, different subduction zones um, and They found that Cascadia subduction zone was number five on the list. So um, that is the fifth worst potential uh, or most dangerous potential um, out of the um, subduction zones there. So um, it's behind the Makran subduction zone in uh, Pakistan and India, or excuse me, Pakistan and Iran. Um, The Aleutian subduction zone in Alaska, and the Western Antilles subduction zone in the Caribbean. Um, those are three that identifies that are worse than the, the Cascadia subduction zone. Um, so in um, if you're not familiar with, with what the Cascadia earthquake would look like, um, I just want to touch on that for a minute. Like I said, this is one of the things that's probably the most uh, concerning for me. Um, of all the disasters we might face in this area, so um, a prediction in twenty, excuse me, 2009 um, said that there's a 10 to 14 percent probability of a Cascadia subduction zone earthquake um, of a magnitude nine or higher in the next 50 years. Um, in 2010, studies suggested that the risk could be as high as 37 percent if you include Magnitude eight or higher. So um, that's a pretty significant risk, um, which is understandable. Um, the way the Cascadia subduction zone works and its earthquakes. Um, I'm actually going to bring that picture back up real quick and show you again. Okay. So um, I don't know the exact place where they um, kind of define the line between north and south um, of the the subduction zone fault here. Um, if you're seeing my cursor here, I'm just kind of going halfway-ish. Um, but with with this uh, particular fault zone. Um, for whatever reason, there's two types of quakes that it can have. Um, one is for a, a, what they call a full rip, which means that the, uh, there's a quake along the entirety of the subduction zone. Um, there also can be a, a rip across, the, a partial rip um, just across the southern part. Um, I have not seen anywhere in the literature um, anything about a partial rip. Um, just on the Northern part of the the zone. So I I don't know why that is. Um, If anybody knows the answer to that, I would love to hear that. So go ahead and put that down in the comments. Um, So a full rip of the subduction zone um, is gonna be a much more significant earthquake. That's when you're looking at um, probably over a nine. Um, I think the the worst case scenario projections I've seen are a 9.4 earthquake. Um, if it's only a partial rip, you know just on the southern part, um, you could have something as low as like a, a seven five, but it's still probably going to be probably uh, an eight or higher. Um, so that's still a really significant earthquake. Um, and they happen fairly often. Um, the let's see if I have this statistic here, um, I don't. Okay, so essentially, um, the average um, of the average time between Cascadia earthquakes um, is about seven hundred years. Um, Five to seven hundred years. Um, sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes it's longer. Obviously, that's an average, um, and so. You know, once you get to about you know two two hundred and fifty years, um, they start saying, "Okay, you know, we're kind of in the range where this could start, this could happen any time now." Um, and then every year that goes by, the odds increase a little bit. So, the last one that happened was—I don't have the exact date here—but it was uh, the year seventeen hundred. Um, they actually know that. Um, kind of interesting because um, not because of anything here. Um but because of uh, primarily, um, there was what they called an orphan wave or an orphan tsunami um, that hit Japan. And so they, you know, did some sciencing, um and figured out, um, this was obviously much more recently than 1700, but they figured out that that big orphan wave or of or, orphan tsunami um, that hit Japan was generated by, a Cascadia earthquake. And so, like I said, that was in 1700. So that was the last one that we had. Um, It is currently 2022. So we are 322 years into um, the time, or since the last uh, Cascadia earthquake. So, you know, with an average of five to 700 years, we're we're getting in there. Um, You know, it's not like people are like, Predicting it's going to happen tomorrow, but increasingly the odds are that it could. Um, so this is a big deal. Um, just some statistics um, of kind of what that could look like when that happens. Um, unfortunately, because it's only been the last couple, I don't know, I'm being generous, last couple of decades that we've really understood the Cascadia earthquakes. Um, the Pacific Northwest has been sorely um, underprepared. Um, and so when a Cascadia earthquake happens, and this is referring more to the worst case scenario, to a uh, full rip, which is going to be at least a 9, potentially up to like a 9.4 on the Richter scale. Um, it's going to shake for at least two minutes, probably, or up, at least two minutes, up to four or five. Um, shaking, rolling along the coast. Um, obviously, as as you come further inland, that's going to decrease the intensity of that shaking and rolling. Um, if it generates a tsunami, um, it will take probably only about 15 minutes um, for that tsunami, depending on obviously how big the quake is, where the tsunami is generated, where the epicenter of the earthquake is, all of that. Um, it's estimated it would probably take about 15 minutes for that tsunami to hit the West Coast of the US. So that's not much time. Um, Fortunately, uh, a lot of the coastal communities have been doing a lot of uh, outreach and education about tsunami preparedness, um, putting up signs for for earthquake evacuation zones, um, what what the area is where you need to evacuate versus not. with this study doubling the wave height, potentially for a tsunami, they're going to have to look at those um, evacuation zones and expand those, surely, in order to um, try and make sure that they're keeping as many people safe as possible. Um, Like I said, the the Northwest is not very well-prepared. Estimates from FEMA are that there would be about thirteen thousand fatalities, and then another twenty-seven thousand people injured. Um, that is a lot of people. Um, obviously, that you know it's going to vary again depending on the intensity of the quake, where it hits, um, if it generates a tsunami, et cetera. But that's going to be a big deal, no matter what. That um, would make it the, the deadliest natural disaster in. Um, American and North American history. Um, FEMA also estimates that a million people would be um, displaced with another two and a half million um, requiring food and water. Um, Then they estimate that one third of public safety workers will not report to work because of the disaster. um, To help protect themselves and their loved ones so. um. Because of various factors, um, we are already short on public safety uh, people here, at least in Oregon. I don't know um, as much about some of the other areas in the Pacific Northwest, um, but if a third of them aren't showing up and we're already short shorthanded, um, that's going to be a big deal. Um, you know, there are a lot of misunderstandings out there, and I do want to take a minute to correct those. I've seen the claim multiple times um, that when a, um, a cascaded earthquake happens and there's a tsunami, um, basically that tsunami is going to wash away everything um, or, or destroy everything between the earthquake and the tsunami. Um, everything's going to be gone and devastated. Um, as far west, see, as far east as either um, I-5 or the Cascade Mountains. Um, that's not going to be the case. Yes, we're going to feel the impact of the earthquake, um, but it's not going to be quite that bad. Um, and the tsunami is definitely are not going to make it that far inland. It's not going to make it 100 miles inland, um, especially because we have the coast mountain range um, between here and there so um but what they are estimating um as well that that this didn't really get into um, along with all of those people who would be without uh, food and water um, that will be displaced um is that they they if you look at again I, i said earlier they compare this to the earthquakes in uh japan the big earthquake in japan in 2011 where the damage was done to the nuclear power plants, the two thousand four um, Indonesia quake um, that were just absolutely devastating, um, and that that's really what they're expecting here. Um, so they're saying it probably will be a few months for most people um, before there's even basic services, you know, uh, water, electricity, even before they really start getting. Um, Restored for most people. Um, Estimates are kind of getting kind of back to normal life. uh, If I remember correctly, it is estimated to take about two years um, and about four years for four to five years for fully back to normal life. So um, that is going to be absolutely devastating. So um, not looking forward to that. Um, It's the The one thing that, uh, like I said, worries me most about um, all the disasters we have, Um, the company that I worked for previously where I was the emergency preparedness manager, um, kind of our attitude uh, there was that if you're prepared for a Cascadia earthquake, um, as far as all of your your preps, then you're gonna be prepared for um, anything. Um, obviously there's going to be some situational things you know that are going to be different between an earthquake and a tsunami um, versus a um, uh, versus venture weather or versus a, a tornado or a wildfire you know obviously there's going to be some differences um, but pretty much if you're prepared for something as bad as a cascadia earthquake um, if you're prepared to be independent and self-sufficient for um, whether that's As a a family group as a household um, or preferably even with a a small community of like minded people um, who are willing to be supportive of each other and take care of each other. Um, What you're looking at there um, is better, better support and better survivability, Um, but you really should be prepared for at least three months of being without water without power without food. um they're gonna truck in what they can, but that's not going to um, be able to do a whole lot. Uh, it's not gonna meet all the needs. Um, it's gonna be complicated by the fact that the, um, the fuel reserves for the area um, uh, near the Portland Airport were built uh, for whatever reason um, on an area of, um, I'm sure so it would be close to the airport and, and to other transportation. Um, but they built it on a, an area that basically was landfill um, out into the river. And so when a major earthquake happens, that landfill is just going to go and all those storage tanks and all that fuel and everything is going to go right into the Columbia River and going to be lost and we're not going to have it. So um, that will complicate recovery uh, efforts. So. Anyway, um, I hope this has been educational for you. I don't want to just scare you. Um, I'm an absolute believer that, while yeah, we can prep out of fear or be prepared out of fear. Um, it's better to do so out of love, love for ourselves, love for the life that we can build and hopefully are building, um, love for our family, our friends um, and, and our community. So um, build because you want the best for, for everyone. Um, we want to protect them, we want to help them, we want to support them. Um, that should be why we're prepared. That's why we educate ourselves. Um, so again, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, please leave any comments you have down in the comment section. Um, I'd be happy to see those. Um, I'm not sure what the next topic will be, but I will be back with that soon. Um, thank you for everyone or to everyone who has uh, helped support me and support the Life, Liberty, and of Happiness Project, uh, both the podcast and the other parts of the business. Um, remember, you can go to www.llphp.org um, for the Life, Liberty, and of Happiness website. Um, and you know, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to, um, please go ahead and, um, depending on what platform you're on, like, share, subscribe um recommend all that good stuff um thank you i appreciate it i appreciate you um and uh i will uh send you on your way sign off in love and liberty and i will see you next time